I'm Dan, and I'm Alex, and it's a new year, and it's a new time to be on air. Hi, everyone. Hi, Alex. We're back officially. We are back officially. Of course, you may have heard. Hopefully, you did hear the breaking emergency episode that we felt we had to give some context to what was happening with the seven three seven Max. But that didn't begin the mark of a new season for us. This episode does. So, a very happy new year, twenty twenty four. To you, Dan. To the listeners, and looking forward to discussing everything that is ahead in the wild world of commercial aviation and beyond. You know, it was so funny. We connected the other day, obviously about Alaska Airlines, but this is the first time we've published something that's like an emergency episode, super breaking. So even as I was editing to upload it. There were updates all the time, and I was like, "No, I just wish we could literally like live stream it almost, so that we could get the updates in real time." Because when a story is developing so fast, it's so interesting. And just obviously, in the past few days since that, there are so many interesting developments we're going to talk about later in the episode. And also, I'm sure there will be more developments from the time we record this, even until tomorrow when we post it. Yeah, you're right. It's been. I mean, that that's the thing with all of these fast moving scenarios, and that's also the thing with the seven three seven Max, which is that whenever there is something,、um, as you know, the developments are thick and fast. I mean, I go to bed having refreshed, having checked, having you know, to, to obtain every last little detail, knowing that by the time I wake up around seven hours later, there is a whole other new load of information, which of course has been the case. But yeah, we will be diving in to what has been happening with the seven three seven Max shortly. But first, quick recap: I want to know how was your Christmas? How was your New Year? So I have to say, I was quite inspired by your mentality that you shared before Christmas that that's a time to just do as little as possible to watch movies, to be with family. So I was genuinely like, remember what Alex said, <laughs> which I didn't want to be reminded about you all the time. But there I was <laughs> thinking, okay, Alex said relax, so I will relax. We didn't end up watching too many Christmas movies, but. We spent so much time cooking and baking, and we perfected the Swedish cinnamon roll. We made like our our family was obsessed、no. with what we ended up making after several、oh, different、wow. versions, and then we made like a saffron version, which didn't have the cinnamon, but we made the same dough with a sweet saffron filling. And saffron is a very Christmassy flavor in Sweden, so that was the highlight. And then spending time with family. My cousin has a ten-year-old son who is, I'm saying this. Objectively, he is one of the cutest babies I've ever seen. So it's just so much fun hanging out.、Um, but now we've left Sweden again, so so it was a nice ten days with family and and all that. How is yours? That sounds really nice. And before I answer that, I want to ask you: What's the difference between a Swedish cinnamon roll and a cinnamon roll? So Sweden, Scandinavia in general, is a bit more low key. It's not like the U.S. where a cinnamon roll is. Pour everything you can on top. Make it as sweet as possible、okay. when it's drenched, drenched in like、uh, what's that called? The glaze kind of thing. A Swedish cinnamon roll like is like an icing. Yeah, a, a Swedish cinnamon roll. Place, I would、yeah. almost say is like a bread. It has a bit of sugar in it, but the filling is what's sweet. So you have a similar cinnamon filling to what you put in the U.S. I would say it's a bit more、uh, aromatic. And then on top, you put these like. It's called pearl sugar in Swedish. It's like these white little things that、um, it, it just looks beautiful. It tastes great. So it's not. I wouldn't say it's as indulgent 
as like a typical cinema roll you think of, which is nice because you can eat okay. it and it feels it's sweet, but not like, oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, there maybe I'll share a picture with you or I, I, I don't know. I feel weird. I don't tweet like you do, but I if I could, I would share a picture of our amazing cinema rolls with the world. Just Google sweeter cinema roll and, and you'll see. Coming up on next week in the kitchen with Dan, we'll be looking at. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do a cooking show next? That that sounds, I mean, delicious. I love cinema rolls so much. And, mm. and okay, so you know that I'm currently in Andalusia at home, and opposite me here there is a little home Swedish shop, right? Really? So it's the Swedish family that have converted that one side of their home into a commercial store like this little boutique store and they sell you know different swedish products fresh frozen cupboard you know everything for alcohol the lot and in the morning they have amazing bakery goods with mm. the swedish cinnamon oh, roll so you've tried other it bits. and it's yeah, well, well, I try to buy them every morning, but guess what? The Swedes wake up early and empty out the place. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I get there and I'm like, right, okay, let's say it opens at eight. At like 8.20, I can be there. And then I was like, huh? and then I'm looking around kind of in despair because I'm not seeing anything on the bakery counter. And he'll say to me, oh, yes, you know, a big Swedish family that just came in now and they, <laughs> just, they, just, they just bought everything, everything. <laughs> I'm like, okay, oh, back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make some for you one time. We will. It's so weird talking to Swedish people because this winter, I swear, five people I spoke to were like, yeah, I'm moving to to Malaga or I'm moving to Alicante somewhere in Spain this spring and I'm like what there were so many people saying they're moving right now so don't worry you don't have wow. to come to Gothenburg Gothenburg is coming to you Alex oh oh Andalusia is full of Swedes you're, you're right I mean that has always been the case the Scandinavians lo love the, uh, the the southern region of Spain yeah. But yeah, if they can like slow down on the buying of the cinnamon rolls before 8.20 a.m., it would be greatly appreciated uh, until, of course, you can uh, start sending us uh, some. But yeah, to go back to your question, uh, Christmas was lovely. Thank you. Super nice. Similar to yours. Lots of family, tons of food. Mum did incredible food. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, different night was each different night was a different kind of arrangement. And we had really nice gatherings with friends, families, neighbors, and so on. So it was good and, and similar for uh, for New Year since being uh, here in, um, in in Spain. So and I have to say a few things now, I noticed. Yeah. I, I just have to interrupt because, first of all, have you seen Kim Kardashian's Christmas decorations? You Like she posted no. of her, you should check out her TikTok or whatever. She posted the inside of her house. It is insane. But I think in second place is the Machera's home because the things I see you guys <laughs> decorate, it's it's so extra. I love it. But like your Christmas tree ornaments are unlike anything I've seen from anyone else. Really? Well, okay. I'm well, in my circles. Yeah. We do like to go all out uh, at Christmas. And, and funny enough, you mentioned specifically about ornaments and decorations. Some of those decorations, those ornaments, for example, for the trees, my mum has had for 35 years. I mean, some, oh, wow. some date back 
Yeah, like it's and also she's also the type that will see something, for example, in July, and it's like something super unusual in the middle of nowhere abroad, and she's like, "This is perfect for this <laughs> side, uh, uh, for for tree number eight, you know, on Christmas <laughs> yeah. on the right side." And it goes, you know, she can start seeing the vision from back then. So yeah, it is cool. And funnily enough, because of so much, usually in December, in early December, I would be very much part of creating that whole thing that that, that my mum wants to create for Christmas. But um, I was away so much and with work, travel and everything that it's the first Christmas ever that I walked in and everything was done. Uh, I must admit, when I when I got back from Toulouse and I got to London and I got to to our home, I was like, wow, what what my mum had created. I mean, I know I know I I knew because I'd seen some pictures Demi had sent me or whatever, but yeah so that that's i i agree with you but that's that's entirely my mom's thing she's amazing with with all of that <laughs> yeah shout out to her another thing i saw that you guys were doing which i was like i wish i could do this don't have well, actually i could just go into a lake but you guys were doing ice baths right yeah we were and that, that's because so one of our neighbors he's a personal trainer slash exercise extraordinaire nutrition biology i mean the full works and he he has one of those proper ice baths and he we we're very very close with him and he he was saying you know we have to make sure that we're doing it not just in summer but also any chance in winter he said including on christmas morning <laughs> we will do a christmas morning ice bath he set the temperature to something six degrees i think it was which is something like half the temperature of the coldest water the coldest seawater in the uk mm. so freezing and uh, yeah and then his you know everyone's kind of like making it was christmas day we had so much energy this the christmas spirit was so high everyone had a drink it was like 9 10 a.m in the morning and we were uh, each having our turn in the ice bath lasting over three minutes which is really good for winter to be honest so yeah that that's what you saw we did kick off christmas day with with an ice bath which is which is not for the faint-hearted no. at six degrees. And I, I, don't get me wrong, it's so difficult in the beginning to try to overcome. You're battling your, your, your body goes into fight mode, you know, and you're trying to just take control of that breath. And mm. once you get on top of the breath, then you're okay. But those first 20 seconds, are you fighting because your body is just thinking, no, 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 this should <laughs> not be happening, you know? It's really cool. It's like controlling, learning to control your mind and your feelings and I guess this shows that yeah. 2024 starts with more Angelino stuff, overly decorated Christmas houses and ice, ice baths. So the trend continues. Well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> so should we discuss, you know, the Alaska Airlines flight was actually destined for the LA area, Ontario airport. I have flown from that airport. It's a fascinating little place. LA has so many airports, which is another amazing thing about living there because you can fly from Burbank, you can fly from Long Beach, you can fly from Ontario or LAX, which is like whatever neighborhood you're in, you're good because there is at least a domestic airport nearby. Well, of course, you know, we, we discussed it pretty in depth in, in the previous emergency episode. Okay, it was just a 20 minute episode, but I think we really did. Uh, I listened back to it and I think the explainer even if I say so myself, from our sides were, were spot on because the reality is that what we saw was unprecedented. This is a new chapter of crisis for the 737 MAX. Whether or not this is an issue on the MAX itself or not is still yet to be determined. It's what investigators are still trying to figure out. But 
the facts remain. It was a 737 Max that was factory fresh, you know, climbing out to its cruising altitude, 16,000 feet. And some of the, you know, it's been, a, it's been a few days now. So some of the analysis that I've been reading from different stakeholders, from engineers, from the technical side of things, from flight crew and so on, I think the biggest consensus is, thank God that this sidewall panel that houses a deactivated exit door didn't blow out when the aircraft was at cruising altitude at yeah. 30,000 feet rather than 16,000 feet. Because the description from the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Bureau, Bureau or board, a uh, board, I think. Yes. Anyway, one of the two. They, um, they, the description that they had read out in one of the press conferences described what we had hinted at on the podcast, which is that we imagined it would have been something like a hurricane on board, and it's exactly that. There, there is a description of how the, uh, the headset of the captain was removed in the chaos of the whirlwind of the you know the 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 vacuum that and, and the chaos that occurs when you have this rapid explosive depressurization something to do with the cockpit door and the cockpit door slamming uh, uh, being unable to to be closed by the flight crew who were uh, sorry by the cabin crew who were desperately trying to close it, it uh, there is some confusion. I can't remember if I got that actually exactly right. If it was the cockpit door or the lavatory door, but I believe it was the cockpit door. There are a whole bunch of descriptive scenarios about mobile phones flying around yeah. and all this that just make it much more real. Make it, okay, I think this is why the FAA is sitting up and just outright grounding the 737 MAX 9. Because even though this could have been an isolated incident, in relation to one aircraft at one airline, they just, they, they can't escape the fact that this is a max. And so, you know, it just makes, from the outset, everyone's very uneasy about this. Yeah. I've, so I know you don't have TikTok and you'll see all this stuff in two weeks, but the thing I found crazy going <laughs> on to TikTok is how my entire feed, this shows what the new generation is like i'm saying that as if i'm 80 years old but there are tiktoks from every angle on the flight people making jokes out of what's happening or people rec recounting their experiences um after they've landed oh, wow. and like th this one that went super viral she was interviewed for every major news outlet She's just like, when you're taking a nap and you wake up and he's, and the oxygen mask is down I in front of you. I saw that one. It's, it's, yeah. And it's just like, it's so is funny. She the, how, is she the passenger that was, is she the passenger that was sat at the back? Yeah, exactly. It's so funny okay. how like yeah, yeah, people yeah. just, okay, this is my chance to go viral because it's true. That's what our generation is like. And it's funny when you make a joke out of it like that. And then the other thing, this is obviously not a funny incident, but it is just interesting how people make light of it. Then seeing these people pick up cell phones, <laughs> they found two cell phones so far, yeah. I think on the side of roads and people are just like, I think this is the cell phone from the Alaska airlines flight, but it landed quite far away. This one that I saw. And then people are trying to, okay, they find that the phone has like 50% battery trying to figure out. <laughs> and then people are quoting the tweet going like, I want to know which case this is because <laughs> the, the well, exactly, ha, you know, that that iPhone in question, I know the exact one you're, you're speaking about. I saw that report, too. That iPhone had survived a 16,000 feet fall 
was absolutely fine. Of course, it's, it's, it's in this kind of ordinary looking phone case. That phone case company needs to update its Amazon <laughs> yeah. recommendation and review area because that, that's something phenomenal. And the phone, they were able to unlock the phone. So I think that, that suggests there was no password. Yeah. And Alaska Airlines was sending emails about, you know, a baggage receipt for that flight. And that's how they had known, oh, this is from that aircraft. So th there's the phone. There's also the, the door itself, the door that yes. had ripped away and blown out and blown away from the aircraft. Of course, enough to do immense damage to human life or property falling from 16,000 feet. Thankfully, it didn't do either. Instead, it rocked up by uh, landing in the garden slash, I'll say it how they said in America, the backyard <laughs> yeah. of a school teacher called Bob. And he called <laughs> it in and Bob, what the Bob hell said is that this? there is a 737 Max <laughs> 9 deactivated exit door at the bottom of his garden, of which the NTSB thanked a... him because they now have... They now have the door. He must have had an enormous garden for it to take several days for him to be like, wait a minute, what is this? Because it took us so long to find the door, which that would be the only explanation or he just doesn't look outside. One thing also, I imagine a lot of people are still wondering is why is Iceland Air, Fly Dubai, Copa Airlines, there's so many airlines flying it. We should just emphasize again that specifically the airplanes that have been grounded are the ones with the deactivated emergency exit. So those that still fly have that exit in back. Then the question is, the big question I'm asking is, the 737 MAX 8 200 flown by Ryanair in yeah. huge numbers already, why is that not grounded? It has the exact same door. Well, it's the exact same design. Now, I keep being asked this on Twitter and I'm, I'm answering by quote tweeting so that everyone can conceive because I'm receiving this same question dozens and dozens of times per day. But basically, this mid-rear exit door plug design, so basically uh, the, the door itself, whether deactivated or activated, so this, this design is on the ordinary 737-900ER of which there are loads in service around the world. Uh, I think one of the largest customers is United. And then, of course, it is found on the Max, but not on all Maxes. It's on the 737 Max 9, which was the aircraft in question with Alaska. It's on the larger Max 10, and it's on the high-density 737 Max 8 200. Now, I don't even like the name of this uh, aircraft no. because it's, it just makes things so complicated to, to the public, you know, the, the, the difference between A, B, C, D and so on. But anyway, the, the Max 8 200 is the 737 Max 8, which is the most common variant of the 737 Max, but in a high density version of which Ryanair is the largest operator globally. Ryanair had to have that exit door design, the mid-rear exit door located behind the wings, because in order to comply with evacuation protocols, there has to be a solid ratio of number of passengers to each emergency exit in the event of an emergency. Ryanair staying absolutely silent thus far, knowing full well they have this exit door design, not in the business to reassure anyone or draw any attention to it. I checked Ryanair's social feeds just before we started recording today, Dan, 
and they are just throwing around their usual banter, <laughs> discussing and taking the pee out of outfits of the Golden Globes, but not focusing mm. on anything uh, to do with the fact that they are possessing this aircraft type where the design is potentially in question now as to what role that design play or was it a one-off isolated incident? Yeah, I feel like we'll be following this. This will give us something to talk about all spring, which for, for better Gosh. or worse, it will be interesting to follow because the FAA has grounded the plane, but we don't seem to know why. What is the end in sight for them? Because yes, they've grounded it, but there's no yeah. clear instructions that this is what, may, what will make us ungrounded. So who knows how long this is going to take. It's a very interesting situation and you can just see all those airlines again that chose the A320neo family are leaning back and going, patting themselves on the shoulder thinking good choice. Well, yes and no. Two things. So firstly, I mean, the when it comes to the fact that uh, to, to firstly continue your point that you were saying about the lack of clarity from the FAA, you're absolutely spot on. Typically with a grounding, you would expect there to be a root cause and then a clear pathway out of the grounding. What has to happen for an aircraft to go from being grounded to ungrounded and airborne? That hasn't been identified yet. Now, don't just take that from me. Take that from one of the largest customer airlines of the 737 MAX. United have cancelled 270 737 MAX operated flights over the last weekend. But they have also said that they want the FAA to clarify what is needed for the emergency plug door, as they're calling it, this, this deactivated exit inspections. They say that they don't have enough info in order to, to know what exactly is it that they are either looking for or checking is or isn't there in order to be able to say inspection done, we're satisfied, get this aircraft back to being airborne. That's the first point. The second point is what you said about, and this is quite a common thought in aviation, that if, if, for example, a Boeing crisis is a win for Airbus and so on and so on, when Boeing suffered with the MAX, Airbus were quietly cautious in knowing that something could come out that could just as quickly and as easily affect Airbus too, that they never put themselves in a position of moral high ground, of, of being the more reliable choice. Of course, the public can decide that. The airline customers can decide that. But, but Airbus have said that because they are aircraft are actually so much more similar and intertwined than people imagine, with, for example, both Airbus and Boeing taking the same parts from different external suppliers dotted across the world, they can never be too sure that a problem for Boeing isn't a problem for Airbus and vice versa. And, and look no further than the A321 and the A321neo family that on some aircraft variants of that family have the deactivated plugged door, <laughs> either activated or deactivated. So I would imagine that Toulouse is watching this very, very closely. And I will have a chance to speak to the CEO of Airbus later this week. And I can update you in any comments from that next week's episode sounds good that kind of nicely brings us into japan airlines which we were going to talk about a bit obviously airbus is on the receiving end in this situation but it's not quite the same there's not an issue with the aircraft but what was so interesting i think for everyone in aviation about this is to see this is the first ever carbon fiber 
airplane, right, that has burned to ashes like this. And to see how differently it acts compared to other aircraft in a situation like that. Because at first, everyone was thinking, wow, this is burning. And it didn't stop burning until basically the whole fuselage is gone. But as it turns out, that might actually be what enabled so many people or everyone to get out alive. Absolutely. So the the A350 we know was coming in to land. And and I will be honest, even before we start talking about this, I, I was, you know, this was such a horrible incident. And also I was completely freaked out just by the fact that I couldn't believe what I was reading that it involved a Japan Airlines Airbus A350. I can't imagine. I was with the Japan Airlines. Yeah. I was with the Japan Airlines team picking up a new A350 just days before this happened. You know, I know the team. I know how forensic they are about safety. We were literally being shown around a new facility, relatively new facility in Airbus, which is a safety promotion center to promote a better culture of safety across Airbus. Why did Airbus open such a thing? Because they have one in Japan at Japan Airlines and Airbus was so inspired by it, they opened it in their honor. And when you walk into this building, Dan, it literally says on the sign, Airbus Safety Promo Center, inspired by Japan Airlines wow. and, and, and their Airbus customer and their focus on safety. So I know how much this will have rattled and rocked the airline, the Japan Airlines community and, and, and the people of Japan as well. You know, the Coast Guard aircraft on the runway clearly shouldn't have been there. That's what the investigation is focusing on. The 350 hits it at, at dramatic speed. Everyone in the cabin stays calm and... A textbook evacuation is underway, including the crew being able to determine which doors were safe to open or not. I have read that there was some confusion with the communication between the flight deck and the cabin crew, and that apparently a, a couple of the, the the intercom systems with well the phones basically that connect the cabin with the flight deck were immediately down. I have read that anecdotally that hasn't since been confirmed. There's a lot that hasn't been confirmed, but nevertheless, everyone was able to get off, as as you said. And while the majority of passengers evacuated within minutes, the captain didn't leave the aircraft for well over 10 minutes while ensuring that there was nobody left behind. And then there was still 10, 15 minutes. And then finally, the fire had spread to the cabin. So was this the A350 doing exactly what it should have done in the worst case scenario? Well, that's what all of the data shows us at the moment. It held up long enough to ensure that everyone was off and then some extra time. And then finally, it started to, uh, to to spread and burn. In total, to get every single person off the plane, it took like 18 minutes, which is obviously much higher than the 90 seconds that the A350 is supposed to be able to evacuate in. But part of this seems to be that there were some people who were too scared to move or to leave the aircraft. So the captain actually risked his life going around the cabin after everyone else had evacuated, making sure that every last person got off, which is amazing. The big question for me now is when they were landing, it didn't look like an especially foggy or, or bad weather day. How do you not see an aircraft lined up on the runway? It's not a small plane, the Dash 8. But it was on the runway for like 40 seconds before the Japan Airlines plane hit it. So something is weird there that they didn't initiate a go around that no one working at the airport thought, hmm, what is this plane doing here? I think that will be a big question going forward. This 
this whole incident will just teach so many lessons from the safety yeah. of the A350 and other planes like the 787, the A220. But then also, how can this happen, especially in a place like Japan, which <laughs> I view as the most orderly um, place where people do their job to utmost to the utmost of their ability all the time. It's it's really surprising, I think, for everyone. No, absolutely, and and you're right. You know, with the evacuation itself, we know that the overwhelming majority of passengers were able to get off within the first few minutes. I mean, less than three minutes. But there were some that were hesitant to get off, that were understandably scared and nervous, and so on. And so the aircraft was not declared entirely empty of all passengers and crew until the captain had spent quite a lot of time on there making sure that everyone was out as you said which is heroic of him and the the 350 as you say is is the first ever whole loss of an airbus a350 it's the first time that we've seen an aircraft as state of the art as a as a 350 end up in in such a fiery scenario and there were many that were messaging wondering why the aircraft was burning and burning and burning and burning. But actually, it was a decision that they had taken. It was a decision that the firefighters had taken and the airport, once everyone was off, to continue to let the aircraft burn out itself rather than continue to fight it. Often, and I, I was reading commentary that often that is safer in terms of fighting these kind of fires where there is fuel involved and so on than continuing to battle the, the blaze. I think it must have helped that this was a domestic flight, so it wasn't carrying 16 hours worth of fuel, of course, and all of these different things are going to be explored in the in the investigation. But yeah. you're right. I mean, somewhere as textbook and as orderly as Japan, I mean, this has freaked Japan out, not least the, the wider aviation community where there have been red flags recently over potential near misses at very busy airports across the US, for example, in San Francisco, at New York, JFK, and so on and so on. But it's not something that if asked, anyone would have said, well, that's probably a likely scenario for Japan. So it was really, really unfortunate. And of course, thoughts with the, the families of those that lost their lives on the Coast Guard aircraft, because they were only flying that mission to help others. They were literally yeah. going to deliver aid and help to the areas affected by the earthquake. It's, uh, it's, it's really sad stuff. We should be thankful that everyone made it out, which we, of course, are. It just kind of broke my heart to read that there were two pets in the luggage hold that they weren't able to save, which in the grand scheme of things is a miracle that there wasn't more damage. But can you imagine the feeling for those pet owners knowing that seeing the airplane burn and there's nothing they can do and knowing what horrific that's last really moments sad. those animals had? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, that's, that's really sad. That's really sad. And also a reminder of, you know, so often I think people just think that the cargo hold, oh, that's where the luggage is and nothing else, you know. And uh, actually there 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 is a lot in that cargo hold that is often forgotten, not least, you know, live animals and pets, but, you know, key things that are being transported from state to state. And it's funny, actually, I mean, this takes us onto a little bit of a different subject, but there is a whole underworld of the the type of things that organizations try to have enter countries through commercial jets i mean i can remember that last year so not the christmas just gone but the christmas before that 
it, there were strikes across UK airports and perhaps that those that wanted this to enter the UK had thought that it was a quieter time because of Christmas and New Year and perhaps it wouldn't be noticed. But if memory serves me correctly, uranium was sent from Iran to the UK via Oman on commercial flights and Yikes. was picked up. I mean, was picked up on uh, was picked up at Heathrow, where in the uh, in the screening facility where they where they screen arriving cargo. And you know, they they thought that somehow. I mean, the investigation started. They said that it was somehow had some kind of sinister uh, use. But just a reminder of actually, there is a whole. I mean, we touched on human trafficking, but there also is a a whole uh, trafficking. Uh, operation that tries very hard to infiltrate the commercial airline side of moving things around and uh, maybe something for us to explore in a future episode because there's that's a whole other underworld and uh, there's a, a a lot of the bad things that we hear that happen globally you know s- some of it is tied to moving around things or their attempts to move around things on passenger aircraft which is uh, concerning but revealing and a good topic of discussion yeah absolutely I just want to discuss one last thing about the evacuation because I want to hear if you have more intel on this. I was reading in the New York Times um, how this was obviously a textbook evacuation. People didn't bring their things. In the U.S., we've seen similar incidents. For example, in 2016, an American Airlines 767 had a big incident. And people, many people bring their carry-on bags, which is a huge problem because it could tear the slide. It slows down the evacuation. So currently, there's actually a project underway to figure out how to reduce it or how to prevent people from taking their stuff. And that made me think, I think I read somewhere, I don't remember where, I don't remember if this is real, but is there talk about actually enabling the cabin crew or somehow making the overhead bin so that in an emergency, they can't be opened? Is that right? So that people can't take their luggage? It's been discussed It's been trialed. It's been discussed at levels with those that are psychoanalyzing behaviors of passengers and so on and so on. And from my understanding, and I've been in the room for one of these discussions, the conclusion every single time is that instead of passengers opening the overhead locker and evacuating with their bags, they stand there fighting the overhead locker to open, which in turn wastes more time. So it's, which is, it's the same reason why, for example, our seatbelts don't automatically lock, you know, if they want everyone to remain seated with their seatbelts fastened, could there be a way that that they press a button and all the seatbelts are locked, uh, tightened and, and fastened and you can't unlock? Well, no, I mean, obviously that we can think of a million safety reasons as to why that wouldn't, that wouldn't be sensible. But one of the, uh, one of the reasons in that is that a passenger would spend too long trying to fight it. Well, that's definitely sure for a locker that they think they will be able to open even if locked and so on and so on. And that's why they don't exist. Hmm. What about what about if they made it a criminal offense to bring your bag off? I just feel like something needs to be done. It's very clear nowadays who does what. If someone is bringing a bag, someone's not. It's going to be on video. Why not make it clear in safety videos and announcements that people who bring their their bags or wear high heels which thankfully i think is more rare will be persecuted for some for endangering other people basically because it's horrifying to me to think in an evacuation that you could be stuck 
or people could die because someone really wants to get their carry-on while most people are following the rules and doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, I think better emphasis on it would be would be better, would be more appreciated. And I think then that ties us in with some previous discussions we've had on the podcast about how far is too far in these safety videos that are trying to be all singing, all dancing, musicals and so on and, and things. Are, are passengers at risk of missing the key messages? I mean, there are some some messaging that are that are announced in a very, very passive, you know, ordinary tone. And uh, please remove your high heel shoes and please take nothing with you. And it's like... That is so important, that one sentence. But in today's digital instant generation now world, are people consuming that? I'm not sure. I mean, there there does need to be. I think it's a better, I actually think the Americans are having a better conversation about it. I think the conversation hasn't even happened in Europe. Mm, Interesting. I guess you're right. The US is very conscious I feel like the the dialogue about aviation safety is much more widespread in the U.S. for some reason. People talk about yeah. aviation issues on the news, on morning shows. They talk about aviation, you know, customs and what to do, what not to do. While in Europe, it's just not a topic at all. And I think you're right. On most flights in Europe, people would also be prone to take their bags. And this, I was thinking about our discussions on safety videos because I really think this kind of changed my mind to where there needs to be, you can make it somewhat fun, but the really important points really need to be hammered home, hammered into people's heads and emphasized because, yeah, you can't just brush over something that could be a matter of life or death for other people. Yeah, It's one thing if one person doesn't watch it, messes up their thing, but being on a crowded plane Everyone else's lives are at stake when one person doesn't know what to do or follow the rules. And interestingly enough, Japan Airlines' A350 safety video shows a scenario where they warn, they say, don't leave with luggage or with wearing high heeled shoes during an evacuation. And they show this animation of a stupid passenger leaving with a big <laughs> bag and uh, a passenger leaving in heels, uh, tearing the slide or, or messing up the evacuation for others, blocking the end of the slide and so on. So they actually play that out in an animation before, you know, really drumming it down and hard that this is not something that should be acceptable. And yeah, I think, you know, greater emphasis on that would be and and that's why you know i do think that when low cost airlines specifically also are focused on anything but the key messaging and they're wasting time with announcements i mean for example so british airways right now okay a legacy carrier i don't know if when did you last fly ba i feel like it was quite recently yeah a couple months ago okay did they have an announcement about uh children in delhi in where in Delhi, India. In, in in Delhi, India, yeah. So as they don't in, even say New Delhi, they just say Delhi. As in raising money or what? Yeah, so it's a charity announcement and, and I've noticed this in all of my short haul BA flights and it's not automated, a uh, uh, cabin crew have to do it. And it's this long announcement of, we're, we're going to be coming through the cabin to uh, collect money for children in Delhi. Children in Delhi, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on. I, I just find that the... the uh, the announcement bizarre because 
Delhi, New Delhi, as in a destination that British Airways serve and have a long partnership with and a long history serving, is mentioned a hundred times in this short announcement. And it's it's so isolated to specifically only Delhi and that this money is specifically for this thing. Okay, I get that there are different charity initiatives that zoom in on certain areas of need. But the I, I just, I don't know. I can't really explain it because I don't have it's the whole announcement random. in my head. But I just fa- found the announcement peculiar. And they've been doing this for quite a while now because there is a lot going on in the world. And there are, there are many, many, many areas on earth of those that are in need of charitable donations. But the announcement, it just seems to have been written in such a funny way that uh, everyone should absolutely be aware that the only issue that they need to raise money for right now is, and, and they just keep saying, Delhi, Delhi, Delhi. And I was thinking, actually, on the grand scheme of things, when you were, when you, if I was to ask you, give me 10 places that are absolutely in need of our charity right now, I don't even think Delhi would be in the top 10, yeah. so, which, which is why I think I just found it a bit bizarre that there is still a, is still a I wonder. I wonder if they, first of all, India and the UK, maybe it's the connection there, but also I wonder if they choose one specific place to make it feel more tangible. Like my money is going toward this specific thing instead of just going to help kids. Because then you wonder what exactly does this do? Where is it going? Maybe that's the strategy. Could be, could be. While we're speaking about BA, I just want to compliment some uh, really great staff members at BA. So the first wing on the check-in area is a breeze usually and uh, to, to fly through, which is great. And it has been recently, I've been going through it quite a few times. But I want to specifically say thank you to Sandra from Heathrow British Airways team in premium services. She was at the counters of Gallery's first lounge. She's great. She is an absolute character. So kind, friendly, funny. And it's a pleasure seeing her at T5. And to ensure that my thanks is passed on, and I do this quite a lot anytime that I'm flying BA and and there is uh, somebody that deserves a thanks, it's to go on. You know BA have that part of the website to say thank you. It's really nice and simple. And you put in the details of the person that you want to say thank you. You put in uh, why. And I have since found that there is genuine real follow-up to those thank you comments and compliments. In fact, there is something in February called Thank You Fest at British Airways for staff. And those that have received like a high number of thank yous are invited to this whole evening known as Thank You Fest and they're 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 given things and they're recognized and so on and so on. So it it, it really does work. So I would encourage you, uh, we've said this before, when you receive good service, when you encounter someone who really makes I mean, Sandra is absolutely an example of when they say that BA is the airline that is made because of its staff. I mean, what an what what a what a great ambassador she is and also to pauline um, because pauline i see and i think i've mentioned her on the podcast all the time um i've mentioned her on the podcast before sorry i see her quite a lot at t5 and she's also from premium services which means she's either found at the club check-in or in the lounges and so on and so on and she's great and she also has been invited to thank you fest because she receives so many thank yous (laughs) which is amazing to hear when she told me that and also, she's now training up the new guys. So in addition to her job, she she spends time training up those Good that are joining BA, which I cannot think of anyone better suited than to train how 
an individual, an employee of British Airways customer facing should be. If you are being trained by Pauline, goodness me, you are in the hands of the best of the best because BA are really lucky to have some really, really, really decent customer facing professionals that instantly take off the any thoughts you have about oh you know is it going a bit this way is it you know they're not always consistent is it a bit like this but uh you, you, then you meet these guys and you think okay great that they the magic of the uh of that premium service for economy passengers for the for premium and so on can still be there with these individuals so this oh. was my my quick thank you to to them on the podcast in addition of course to the fact that i filled in that form so that they can all go to thank you fest <laughs> <laughs> that's nice that's nice we also need sounds to, like coachella <laughs> yeah we also need to pay back to our listeners because i've received so many questions over the holidays and we'll answer as many as we can now as we jump over to q a so the first question here it's it's just an interesting discussion point from owen he says he's flying from uh, from Berlin to Newark with a very short layover on Swiss. So he's basically asking, if I show up at the airport earlier, since there is an earlier flight, will I be accommodated on the earlier flight for free or is there no point in trying? This is an interesting question just because in Europe, the concept of a same-day flight change is not a thing. While in the US, this would be very much possible. So unfortunately... In Europe, it's pretty much, unless you have a high status with SAS, for example, or you're on a flexible ticket, these type of very logical, seemingly easy changes are not allowed, which is a huge bummer. Yeah, it's. I, I don't understand why we can't have a common sense approach here, but it is all just revenue driven. And I can just see the agent answering the phone now and saying, well, you have a light fare. You have a, <laughs> yeah. a Swiss light fare, meaning you are absolutely restricted to that flight. And even though the other flight before you, you are there for it. It's leaving early. It's leaving half empty. You booked a light fare. You know, it, <sighs> it, it would be great if we could have a bit. There are not many things that I wish we could take from US aviation into Europe, <laughs> but that common sense approach to same day, you know, I'm here early. Why don't I fly earlier? Would be one of them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Daniel, he, well, this is not really a question, but it's more of an interesting thing. He says he was flying Singapore Airlines in business class. His tray table wasn't working. So after he ate his food, the crew actually came over with a voucher for Singapore Airlines duty-free, $150 Singapore Airlines duty-free voucher just because his trade table wasn't working. He hadn't even asked for any compensation, it sounds like. So he was basically saying, is this still Singapore Airlines being at the pinnacle of air travel or is this a normal thing? I think we can both answer that and say... That's a Singapore Airlines thing. <laughs> Not That's Singapore Airlines, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even good. think... <laughs> that's really, really nice. <laughs> I don't think that's even a normal occurrence on Singapore Airlines, but it's, it's an amazing thing to hear. You know, that takes me back to being 12 and coming back from Australia to London via Singapore and Dubai with Emirates. And I was alone with my twin sister. And on the Melbourne to singapore leg of the route the my seat in economy wouldn't it when i pressed it to recline it wouldn't stay reclined i'd, I'd you know it would go back up oh, it no. just wouldn't stay behind <laughs> it wouldn't stay reclined i'd have to hold it back and you know i was i was tiny also as a 12 year old like i was not holding it back for nine hours <laughs> and i i said to the cabin crew and like tiny me i said to the cabin crew 
um, am I doing something wrong? Like it went, and she said, oh no. So she tried and she said, I'm so sorry. There's a problem with the seat. Um, I, I am so sorry. And there's no, it's a full flight. There's no other seats. And like little me, I didn't even need the extra space. I said, I said you know, oh, that's okay. That's fine. And then about four hours later, halfway through the flight, she taps me and asks if I can just follow her into the galley behind. So I take off my earphones and it's like a pitch black night flight. And I go into the galley and there's five crew members and some of them like kneeling down to my height. And she says, we just want to say that because your seat doesn't work, doesn't recline, we want to apologize. And we want to give you this goodie bag full of first class at Bulgari uh, Emirates uh, amenity uh, kits. Okay. You're like what? three or four. <laughs> yeah, Most people right. that age so have like, no idea what that even is. <laughs> that, well, I did so, and I loved yeah. it. Right? I'm thinking, you know, yeah. Uh, aftershave for the boy with, you know, for the 12 year old with not, not, not even a, a hair on his chin, let alone yeah. a beard. Right. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, full of amenity, uh, the amenity kits from first, not even from business, and like other Emirates goodies, and they, uh, my eyes lit up. I was uh-huh. shocked. It was amazing, and I think I hugged them and said thank you. And then you know what was really nice? We did a technical stop rather than a, you know, it was a refuel rather than a plane change oh. in Singapore. Yeah, and it was just a, yeah, it was just we could we could stay, at, or you could leave, and. I think we we did get off the aircraft. Yeah, we did. And we were just kind of in the gate area of Singapore Airport with that famous carpet. And then after literally 45 minutes, we get back on. And guess what they had done in the 45 minutes time? They had fixed the seat. Aww. So nice of them. Yeah. So it's such an early travel memory of being fully alone with Demi and, you know, coming back from Oz. But uh, yeah, really, really nice. That's amazing. Um I have one last question here that I'm going to ask for today from um, BJJ Peters. I'm not sure about their full name. They say, hi, Alex, Dan, here's a question for the podcast. I find the padding on a lot of business class seats too firm. Interesting. Do airlines allow you to bring your own inflatable mattress? And have you ever considered it? Alex? I haven't considered it. You would be (laughs) unsurprised to hear. (laughs) And I would say that there is some kind of potential safety risk slash violation of the safety annexes on a commercial aircraft of having a full size. Listen, I get where the question is coming from. Some of the seats are firm. You're you're right. Even, for example, Qatar's Q-suite is a more firm business class seat than other seats. The only example I can think of here, and I'm going to give her a small shout out, is there is an Instagram friend that I that I, I know via Instagram. She's like, uh, she, she posts her travels with her kids and her name is Miriam. And whenever she flies, she pumps up this inflatable, mm. inflatable kind of triangle thing that goes in the footwell area of the economy seat. And basically it means that her toddler, when she pumps it up and she takes like the foot pump on and everything, you know that you pump a, a lilo on an inflatable for the pool. She yeah. <laughs> she pumps it up. It, it, it creates this space where the toddler can chill across the seat cushion and then there not being a gap. Instead, it continues to be this inflatable thing. So it becomes like, a, I guess, a little padded bed almost for the toddler. Now, she seems to 
do that all the time and nobody's ever told her it's not possible so that's the only example i can give i mean i don't know about a, a full-size adult bringing a full-size adult inflatable <laughs> bed <laughs> into the business class cabin can you imagine yeah i i've seen those in economy too i think it's it's one thing there but can you imagine in like the emirates game changer suite you're just like sorry i don't want to make the bed but could you please inflate my air mattress <laughs> <laughs> like that would just cry i think the crew would find it hilarious but why not try it please report to us if you try it because i can't say i'm not curious whoa 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 whoa, whoa 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 I'm, we are I'm, not we, no 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 i know not us but also we are not encouraging <laughs> okay something that is potentially in breach of the safety regulations of an aircraft i don't think you should dan thinks you should try it for for what it's worth <laughs> and let the record on this podcast episode show i'm absolutely against the idea politely but against it people do crazy things on planes i think that this is not that crazy in the grand scheme of things and who knows i i just can't picture how it would even work in a normal business class seat there's not room for that there is room in economy like you said by the foot area which i think is such a great product for people traveling with little kids or who just, just anyone who wants to sleep in economy if if I were taking a very long flight in economy, I would probably look at investing in one of those as well because they do look quite comfy. You you are far too tall for for it to do anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining you laying across That's true. three seats and like, okay, so three seats will do your first half of the body. What about the next half? You'll be across the aisle and into the into the next set of four seats. Is there delusional <laughs> I, that you think a little padded cushion will help? I have flown what they call the poor man's business class many times, and I'll tell you, even I greatly appreciate an empty row. I, you know, I sleep yeah. on my side. I'll just scrunch up my legs into a, into a, um, what's it called? A rectangle. No, not a rectangle. <laughs> wait. What's <laughs> the, you don't even geometry know because it, it goes into a shape. But at first, a it's triangle, a rectangle, a and then you triangle. have to you have to bring the next part up so it becomes a triangle, and then then you have to fold them round so it looks more like a circle. There's just so much of it. <laughs> okay, I think this is a sign that. We've had enough for today when I can't even think of the word for triangle. <laughs> my brain is tuning out. <laughs> I do have quite a few questions in my inbox that were sent over the Christmas and New Year period that I will put together into the spreadsheet and we will get to with the Q&A in next week's episode. John, I'm seeing your question. Amy, I'm seeing your question. We will get to them in next week's episode. Amazing. That sounds good. We can't wait for next week. We're back like normal every Wednesday and uh it was good spending this hour with you Alex hope you enjoy I don't know if you have ice baths in Spain but at least try to get those cinnamon buns gotta wake up gotta wake up earlier to beat your cousins because they're on it they're on the case they're right there they're buying up all the all the shop thank you for joining us as always and you can get in touch via the usual social channels we shall see you next week bye bye see you later